Welcome to the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, uh, the the co-author of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass. You could learn all of the the expert-level top player concepts that, uh, that, that, that help you win at DFS. It's a strategy game. It's about the game theory of DFS, not just about the sport. It applies to all of them. So go to theoryofdfs.com, pick it up. Uh, you could always submit questions for the podcast, questions at theoryofdfs.com. And as always, joined by uh, the, the soon-to-be married man this, this coming week, Eric Bimefor. You're, you're, you're in store for the biggest rake increase of your life. <laughs> yeah, that that is a fact. And we picked a, the perfect week to get married, right? In the middle of a pandemic and on election week. Um, so it's been a little chaotic to uh, to say the least. But it's been we we were originally planning to get married in May and then Rudy Gobert shut the world down. So uh, that changed some things. And we ended up pushing it back. And it's still been like I live in southern Illinois, right across the river from St. Louis. And it's still been in flux here. They actually sh- kind of reinforced some guidelines and stuff. So like even like a week ago, we didn't even we weren't even certain if we could go forward with it, despite, you know, months and months of trying to figure all this shit out. But we're we're good. We're good to go for, for Friday. So, uh, yeah. So it's on um, Friday. It's, uh, so you, it's, get to, you get to play this coming Sunday NFL slate. Exactly. So it's, so it's, it's, maybe you don't play college football in the morning on Saturday. Probably won't be playing college football on Saturday, which is sad. I love I love college football, but we have we have the MAC is back tomorrow. So that's what I was telling you before the show. I'm trying to grind you know an entire week's worth of research and then some probably into like two days this week before I'm pretty much out the rest of the week. So get get my get my fix in tomorrow and then still play a little bit on on Sunday. Right, and and we could do this because we both know. The first rule of DFS. I, I did include the first rule of DFS in, in the course. The first rule of DFS. I made a video a long time ago. It's on the YouTube channel. It's easily, by far, the first rule of DFS, okay? There's, there's no rule that comes above it. We talk about projections and correlation <laughs> and leverage, all that type of stuff. No, it doesn't matter unless you know the first rule of DFS. And that is, uh, it, it, unless you're single. If you're single, you don't have to go by this rule. But the, the first rule of DFS is that when you have any uh, somewhat substantial win uh, in, in a GPP or a, good, a very good week, uh, that you, you bribe your significant other. You, you, buy the, you buy them a gift or something, something that, that is unexpected. And then, 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 then they understand that, oh, money comes in because of this. And, <laughs> and you get to make your lineups whenever you want. Yeah, exactly. We do, I usually do, we like to travel. So that's what I'll do. You know, every time there's a win, like, okay, where do you want to go, you know, for a, for a weekend or a week or, or something like that. And then it's also easy. Like when there's like live finals involved, it's like a double win, you know, it's like, Oh, by the way, this year, not, not this year, but uh, in, in other years, it's like, okay, you know, we won some money. So pick out a trip that you want to go do. And then, Oh, by the way, we're also going to Florida in December. You know, I live in St. Louis and December's a shit show here. So it's just a, yeah, it's a it's an easy way to uh, and you know, double incentivize the whole household. Right. I mean, last year, me and my wife went on a nearly three week trip to Hawaii. I, rem- cause, cause I remember she, that she w- always wanted to go to Hawaii. So I'm like, well, then let's let's go to Hawaii. I mean, like mm-hmm. they, this is this is the perks. So yep. you know, on on Sunday morning at at noon when I'm tweaking my lineups or whatever like <laughs> that, uh, 
Like that's that's me time or six o'clock for NBA or or any anything like that. It's like no, this is this is this is this is work time. It, lo- it may not look like work. Um, yeah, because just, right, uh, exactly. I'm, I'm I'm contributing to the lulls on Twitter or something or on my <laughs> phone or something. I like like it looks like I'm not doing anything important, but I'm like I'm weighing whether or not. I should be playing DJ Dallas in my lineups. And like, that's, that's a big decision for me mm-hmm. on how I'm going to late swap around. Should I do it? Cause then you don't have salary. We'll talk about this, this week that happened, but uh, I, I had a slightly uh, loss uh, minus 4%. So like to, to me, that in, in this, in the grand scheme of things, minus 4% is break. I mean, like a, a yeah. normal losing week in GPP is like minus 20%. So like minus 4% by cash lineup, like kind of broke even. I played a lot more head to heads than I did double ups, so that helped me out a lot on, on the ones that mm-hmm. I that I didn't cash. Uh, GPP lineups. I mean, I I didn't I didn't have enough Dalvin Cook, so like yeah. I, I can't, you can't get anywhere near the the top like even five percent <laughs> without him. So so I knew that was that was a goner, and and of course I played a lot of entries into the the ten dollar milli because the slant got lowered. And for ten bucks, right. okay, fine. I'll t- I'll give it a shot at the ten dollar level instead of the twenty dollar level. So you build a lot of you know nutso lineups. You know, you, I, I try to make a lot more leverage plays in those. So a minus four percent is it, that's fine. I, I'm I'm happy. I'm I'm almost happy. To me, it, it felt like I won to some extent because I knew without Cook, I can't like I can't win big in anything. So it's just a matter of surviving and advancing the next week. Yeah, that that's how I felt. I was we we're like flip flopped. I barely won, which felt especially after the last few weeks when I when I've been losing, felt like a, a huge win. You know, I was like celebrating on Sunday with a with a five percent win. But um kind of this same thing, but uh I was talking to somebody yesterday. It was also I think I did sometimes I get lazy on like the contest I'm registering and, and, and still even chasing some some prizes and stuff, but I did a had a little more concerted effort to, you know, there's so many good anywhere from like $50 to like $400 single entry or small field different contests. And I put a little more effort into making sure I was doing a little bit better contest selection, which on a week when I didn't play Dalvin Cook, like I had an okay team, you know, an above average team, just a little bit of extra effort on contest selection helped help me, you know, have a better week than I would have than I would have otherwise. So I thought it was an overall positive, like you said, you know, any week where you're not like donating it all back and, and, you know, you don't have the one guy that you have to have to win tournaments, but you don't lose it all. I think that's, you know, that's, 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 that's good. And then you're, as long as you're, you know, uh, I started an article this week kind of reviewing process wise of like tournament of like uh, my main tournament lineup. And, and as long as you, you know, feel like after review, you did a good job with your, your process, you know, if you didn't have enough Dalvin's that, that, that's fine. Maybe that's a mistake. I don't know, but it, that's not the point. Um, I think the point is, you know, Lose four percent, win win four percent. Um, I was actually pretty happy with this week. Right, I'm 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 more happy in what I did in in cash games because, mm-hmm. like you mentioned, contest selection matters. We preach it's in the course. You match the lineup for the contest that you're in, and whether you're playing single entry, large field millies, the, you're playing high stakes. You know the Thunderdome. You know with thirty <laughs> people in it versus a three hundred. Uh, entry contest so for this week uh, because i do play cash games in nfl uh and i'll play a lot of the double ups i mean i'll play double ups head-to-heads triple i mean i'll i have i'll make one lineup sometimes i make two right mm-hmm. sometimes you know sometimes i, I, I 
I it's one of those things where I've I have a two v two or something that like it's so close. So like just for just for risk mitigation, I don't split it evenly. I just like well here's a th- a thousand into this lineup versus five thousand into this other lineup. Like just to you know I could worst case scenario what's the I mean I'm still making the main decision for my main lineup for cash and yeah. then just like having another lineup on the side. It's 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 I'm a nit so that it's not it's nothing. <laughs> You shouldn't be doing that normal. I mean, it's just it's yeah. it just lowers lowers your risk. It, it lowers your 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 ROI by doing it also. But it, I don't mind. I don't mind doing that. So it's different week to week. It's different week to week though too, right? Like two weeks ago, you know, I saw you posted your cash team and basically had basically the nuts nuts cash team. But like this week, there it, it wasn't quite as clear cut. You know, there were a lot more two v twos and three v threes and different stuff that was in play. I think. Um, so, you know, I think it can make more sense on weeks like this week. So just another, you know, slate dependent type of thing. Right. So I saw, okay, we're going to, we're going to get into the concepts that apply to all of DFS. So this is not just cash. So that's why Eric, all, a lot of these things apply to single entry, large, you know, to everything, but, uh, in cash games, I'm much more likely to predict my opponents. Because they're going to try to play optimally. We're all trying to play optimally. What's the best optimal median build, right? You look at projections. You look at models. You obviously, you know, you could pick out the underpriced players. We all know that Keenan Allen at sixty two hundred is probably <laughs> at least eight hundred underpriced. Like you don't have to look at projections to know that, right? You don't have to look at projections to know that uh, that Jamal Williams at sixty one hundred, like, like you're probably playing him optimally when the Packers are a seven point favorite. Okay, so like it's not just projections, but I looked at uh, the the optimals, right, and what the optimal build would be, and uh, the optimal build dealt a lot with the Seattle San Francisco game. Okay, like they were going to be the most they were going to be the most popular teams than game in 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 GPPs, mm-hmm. but they also offered with Debo Samuel out with Tyler Lockett still I think underpriced for his median. Garoppolo as a cheap quarterback on a week that you were paying down a quarterback. Uh, it would have been a little bit less so if the weather held up and Derek Carr got ownership in that mm-hmm. range. So all the car ownership kind of went to Garoppolo. So I, I was looking at optimals of optimal builds. And it focused around Garoppolo at quarterback, Hunt and Williams at running back, Mims or Barrios, some cheap receiver. So whatever cheap receiver... Uh, Keenan Allen, and then you either played like Bourne or Ayuk or like someone, someone in that, something like that, Kittle at tight end, and then whatever at defense. So if you take a look at that type of lineup, it's a, it's a, it's what we would consider a GPP lineup, right? It's a three plus one. It's a, it's a correlated lineup where three or four pieces in the lineup are from the same game. They happen to be some of the best values, but not like we're, it's not like they were, it's not like Ayuk was 3,500. It's not like uh, Kittle was right. 5,000 where the projection <laughs> would just blow it through. Who cares if they're correlated or not? They're just they're by far the best salary adjusted value plays, but enough so, slightly above, right? Yep. Lockett was above, just above like a Galladay or just above, uh, like, like we, we take a look, AJ Green was in the mix in the 4K range. But you could even have made a case for Marvin Jones if you wanted to, a little higher variance. But, like, the differences were not dramatic. The difference between Kittle and Kelsey were not dramatic. 
The differences between Allen and Tyreek Hill. Just how you know with Tyreek Hill, you get more yep. higher variance because, you know, he's not going to get the target share on, on the Chiefs compared to Keenan Allen. But the chalk was revolving around a three plus one, essentially. A, a San Francisco, Seattle, and if you, you ran it back with Lockett or Metcalf or something, and, and that and that was the, the quote chalk type of cash lineup. The concept with correlation, which we which we talk about, and it's in the course, it's a whole chapter on correlation in the course, is that the, the more correlation you have, the more variance you have. It increases the variance of your lineup, which is great for GPPs because you're trying to access the higher end range. When one person has a higher end range, the, 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 the person related to them is more likely to have a higher end range. But that works in reverse also. When one player does badly, it's very likely that the other players do badly. So your range of outcomes widens. People were doing that in cash. Typically in cash games and double ups, you don't get rewarded for the top end. You just, you know, get in the top 55 percentile, you're good, you're good, right? Head to heads, can you beat 60 plus percent of your head to head opponents? You're good. Like you don't get rewarded for anything past there. But people were building correlated lineups for cash games. So I thought that uh, the edge that I could have is to lower my variance. And what, when I lower my variance, I increase my leverage. So we have these three levers, right? We have projection, we have correlation, and we have leverage. Those are the three main levers of DFS. Projection would say that Kittle, my projections had Kittle with a 1.5 higher point median. Right, I'm, I'm I'm not concluding defenses because I my my switch was like instead of Kittle and the Dolphins defense, I played Kelsey and the Packers defense, uh, and I was playing Garoppolo in my lineup, so, and I was playing AJ Green over Kendrick Bourne, so like I look at my lineup and the only the only player I have from the Seattle San Francisco game is the quarterback, the chalk cheap quarterback, mm-hmm. uh, any points. That like Kittle scores and Bourne scores and Ayuk scores and everything is related to Jimmy G. So like I know Jimmy G's not going to be a hundred percent owned in cash games. He'll be high. He ended up uh, you know somewhere sixty percent, but that also means forty percent of the field doesn't have him. So in worst case scenario, the points that I don't have from Kittle or Bourne, I'm still mitigating a little of it by ha- by having Jimmy G. He throws a touchdown. At least I'm getting those four points, if not the six points from Kittle. So it's a little. I'm getting. A, I'm. I'm. I'm grabbing back a little bit of of the variance. But my thinking was, especially on a slate where this game is late, that I'm going to have a lot more information at four o'clock that I didn't have at one. So I know that that either people are going to go down to Jonu Smith at tight end or Hunter Henry, which is still in the late game. Uh, they're probably going to play Hunt and Williams. I don't know if they're going to play Henry. I have Alvin Kamara in my lineup. He's in a late game. So I'm playing him, obviously, for PPR value more than Derrick Henry in cash games. So now I'm going to be able to see what Derrick Henry scores. It's not like Derrick Henry was super chalk, but he was like 30% owned in cash games. So now I ha- I'm going to have that information. I'm going to have the information of how well A.J. Green did. A.J. Green was like 20, 20-ish percent in cash games. Kelsey, in my cash games, was 3%. 3%. Kittle was 33%. 
Defense, I don't care that much about. I didn't think there was going to be a chalk defense that I needed to block or anything. So normally in low stakes, I would say, let me just take Kittle and block Kittle, right? Because I'm going to rely on projections more in the low stakes because the leverage I get is not going to be enough because there are tons of people that don't play optimally in lower stakes. So like Kittle's ownership in lower stakes is lower, right? Because people are playing other tight ends. Jimmy G, like those players, people are going to go off the board and play who knows who in cash in the $1 to $3 level, even at the $5 games. But I'm playing the 250 double-ups. I'm playing 109 head-to-heads. I'm playing $50 head-to-heads. I'm more likely to to run into people that, that know how to build optimally. And we look at him and go, oh, then maybe there's six possible lineups. Which one of the six are you going to play? And because I can predict that better means I get more, I, I, any deviation I'm going to get more leverage on. I'm not aiming for leverage normally mm-hmm. in cash game. I'm like, I'm normally not doing that. But looking at the lineups that I built with AJ Green and either Kittle and the Dolphins defense or Kelsey and the Packers defense, I have to think in my head, is it worth taking the 1.5 point median hit in projection to unget to, to lower my correlation? Meaning that if that if that game's a bust, like my cash line's a bust, right? If the, the 49ers go out and throw up a dud, like, yeah, a lot of people have them, but like half the field doesn't also in yeah. combination. Uh and then if I play Kelsey over Kittle, I mean Kittle Kittle was eleven times more owned. With a 1.5 point difference, like, does does Kelsey beat Kittle at least one out of 10 times? Like, I, I yeah. And on top of that, I will know if that happens. I will know Kelsey's score. I will know A.J. Green's score going into 4 o'clock. So I'm getting information. I know Henry's score going into 4 o'clock. And I still have slots open. I still have mm-hmm. Allen in my lineup in a wide receiver spot. I still have quarterback in my uh, Garoppolo, my quarterback spot, I have my flex open with Kamara. Those are my three spots. So mm-hmm. now I'm thinking, if I'm going to do this, because I this is what I planned on earlier on, on Sunday. Like, if this is what I'm going to do, I went into the lobby and I started taking as many head-to-heads as I can. And I started taking as many triple-ups as I can. I just went to the $5 triple-ups. I'm like, because I'm gonna, if I'm going to gain this much leverage, I at least, if, if I'm going to be right on this, I at least want to have more of the three X scores. Mm-hmm. Like I could win triple my money in, in my portfolio. So I'm not, now I'm not playing double. Now I, instead, normally Sunday morning, I'm grabbing double ups, you know, for late comers and all that type of stuff. Now I'm, I'm grabbing head to heads and triple ups and three mans. I'm going in and it does to me, it doesn't even matter what my opponents are. Like I know what my opponents are doing. None of these sharp guys are playing Kelsey. In, like, I know, I, I I guarantee it. They're either going down to Jonu Smith or Hunter Henry, or they're playing Kittle. They have $400 difference. No one's going to look. They're going to look at their projections, see the 1.5 or 2 point, depending. It, it, it's arguable. One to two points right. in the projection and go, well, why not just spend the 400 on Kittle and just change a defense? Because who cares about defense? Because you're playing the Titans or the Packers or the Dolphins or the Saints or one of those types of plays. So I'm like, okay, this is a way for me to to get an advantage. It, it, it could go completely wrong. When you play correlated players, they could do badly or great. Like I, I could have lost head-to-heads by 60 points doing this. But all I need to do 
to get right is if Kelsey beats Kittle and A.J. Green puts up a decent enough score, he was owned. So it's not like he was like 22, 25% in some of my double-ups, that uh, if needed, I have the spots to get leverage off of that. And I also have the spots to block. So, Eric, this is we're going to talk about your lineup. We talked about this before because you were playing. If you were not planning for swaps, whether you're playing GPP, large field, or you're playing single entry, and definitely if you're playing cash, on these on these parameters, depending on who you were playing in the early games, then your process is wrong. This was a, a very big game theory slate in that regard, especially with the Seattle running back news and the fact that we knew San Francisco and Seattle was going to be chalk. So th- this was my logic. Uh, I plan because of you, you could you do it manually. You don't you don't need a calculator for this. So I look at my lineup and go, okay, who what slots do I have open in the late games? I have Keenan Allen, who I know is going to be like the chalkiest wide receiver. Then I have Garoppolo. I know he's going to be the chalkiest quarterback. And I have a, a running back slot that I could judge how much Kamara is going to be owned based on Henry's ownership, right? Because most likely, if you played Henry, you didn't play Kamara. So once I saw Henry was like 32% in my double-ups, I knew Kamara was going to come in at like 20% and not 28%. If, if it was flipped, then it's another thing. So I thought Kamara was the better play. So I mean, he was the better projected play anyway. By a little bit, but he has a much narrower range of outcomes. Right. Based on how the salaries work, here's what went through my mind. Worst case scenario, if Kelsey puts up a dud, he has six points. I have the option to change Keenan Allen to Brandon Ayuk. Right? I could just go right there and get probably 30% ownership decrease and leverage myself off the Born Kittle lineups, right? Because if Ayuk goes nuts and Born and Kittle don't have a good game, I get direct leverage that way off of Born Kittle type of lineups, or just Kittle, or just Born. If uh, I was way behind, I could the salary allowed me to go from Allen down to Born, and then take Jimmy G up to Russell Wilson. So now I'm off the the, the sixty percent on quarterback. Right and and I'm off the Keenan Allen. I'm off I'm yep. off the fifty percent on Keenan Allen. Like that's my that's my hail mary play mm-hmm. type of thing because now the quarterback's going to be less owned Russ at that price, and I still have Kamara in my in my flex. I could have also Kamara was uh, what eighty two hundred. I could have switched Allen up to Lockett and Kamara down to Kittle. And played tight end in my flex and block. Yep. Like if I if, if it turned out Kelsey had a great game and AJ Green also had a great game, I may have just switched. Did that? I may have switched and said, "I need I, let me just block Kittle. If I could just block Kittle, I win." I mean, like I because I know what I have Garoppolo high owned, right? I, like I I have uh, Allen there high owned. I mean, I could even leave money on the table and just go take Kamara down to Kittle. I see Heron's, Derek Henry's ownership is higher than I expected. So do I have to worry about Kamara? Kamara came in at 20%. I have to worry about Kittle more than anything in my lineups. So at least it gave me the option of doing that. Maybe that turns into DK Metcalf if I need it. Maybe I go down Maybe I go down from Kamara to Metcalf, and I go from Allen up to Lockett, and I play both Seattle wide receivers. So 
based on the salaries, the way that it worked out, I could go up to Russ. I could go down here. I could switch around. I could, I could, I could play essentially whoever I, I could go. If I need extend leverage, I'm going with like David Montgomery, right? I play something like Metcalf, Montgomery, and Herbert, or something right. like it. It gives me all these options because I have new information, right? And I know what my strat like. It's a two prong strategy of I, I'm going to try to exploit correlated lineups by lowering my variance by uncorrelating my lineup. I, I don't need I, I don't need that one game to go right. I need a whole bunch of different things, and then so I have a much more narrower range of outcomes. And then in combination of that, I know I will get information to make a better decision, a more optimal decision. Before the late games, also, does it mean you do this? Uh, I want to highlight the fact if you're playing one dollar head to heads, probably you're not. You, should you be thinking like this? Probably, but should should you be leaning more towards projection than correlation and leverage in cash games? Probably, the, the, your opponents will probably make more mistakes that you could benefit from in the long term with the projection level lever. Then with the correlation and leverage lever. The, the correlation, you save those levers for the GPPs, right? You, you keep that in mind. You go like, okay, you know, when, when you think in terms of, should I play this guy or this guy in cash games? And you side with the more owned player, you are pulling the leverage level. You're just pulling it down. You're just pulling, making it go down because, you, right. you know, you want to block so you don't get beat by one spot. So that's, that, that essentially was my thought process. It worked out. My 2v2 was a one point difference. Because obviously when the Dolphins defense puts up 23 points, that kind of yeah. bails you out. But I think my uh, my lineup that I played, that was it was 115. The other lineup was 116. Uh, it was, was the more skillful lineup because the only way, the only reason the other, the, the Dolphins D lineup scored because the Dolphins D put up a, an outlier score. And if Dolphins D yep. puts up a median score of seven, like the Kittle Dolphins lineup actually, you know, barely doesn't even pass a hundred. So with the fact that Kittle put up four and Kelsey put up 27, it's not, to me, I'm not weighing it by a results-driven process. I'm weighing it by their medians were not that far apart. And mm-hmm. obviously I went heavy on Kelsey and GPP because of that fact also. But in cash games, I'm sitting there going, going I, 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 I played the low stakes for so long that I'm so used to, let me just block the popular play and just, just let everyone make mistakes. Now that I'm playing much higher stakes, like I can't expect those mistakes to be made. So I need to find a way that I could benefit. And if I do enter the contest where it it maximizes my decision rather than, well, I'm just going to play all double ups and do like, no, no, I want to play as many. Because look in the single entry double ups, like the large ones, my lineup didn't even cash. The cash line was like 117 or whatever. But I won, I think, 68% of my head-to-heads with my 115 lineup. And mm-hmm. in the high, like, and I cashed in the 250 double-up, the single entry. I cashed in the 100 single, like, all the high-stakes stuff, I cashed in. It was the $5 double-ups on the bottom. Because that's what happens, because obviously in the lower stakes, Jimmy G is less owned, Kittle is less owned, right? Yep. They, the, the projection-based plays are less owned because they're making more mistakes, and obviously they had leverage over that and they didn't do well. So if you if you if you played the higher stakes with the chalk, you were more likely to cash than in the lower stakes. But you know, my my one fifteen didn't 
end up in triple ups either, like the leverage in because AJ Green had like what three points or something, right? Uh, yeah. And 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 Kareem Hunt nine, but I mean everyone had him, and obviously Jimmy Jimmy G with the two point seven six isn't going to get you much. Uh, <laughs> so that didn't work out. Like I didn't get the payoff of the three X on the triple ups, but like who could? Uh, there are plenty of people out there that probably played a better lineup from a projection standpoint than me that put up the same score and lost more head tests. Right. I, I mean like that, like yep. that is the concept of, of building your lineup based on the contest that you're, that you're in. If you played the, the lineup that I, that came in one sixteen, in all your low stakes contests, you would have gotten like, you would have put in a thousand and gotten like a hundred back. Mm-hmm. I, I, I made money. In, I mean, I, the, my minus 4% overall was mostly GPP losses. In cash games, I made a little. I mean, I didn't double my money. I mean, like, uh, you know, 115, uh, only winning 68% of your head-to-heads. Like, it's a profit, but not like the week before when I went 96% of my head-to-heads. So, yeah. uh, in explaining all of this, I mean, this, this this is what's in the course. This Applying the concepts. The thing is, is that most people... You have to enter the slate with a fresh mind and go, what makes sense? Am I willing to incur? Like I had, I had to be willing to sit there and go, Kelsey could put up six points and I could get destroyed. But I believe that my EV is higher. I believe, and we'll talk about GPPs in a little bit, that uh, too much of the narrative was that the Chiefs were going to blow them out and somehow on a 35 implied total that somehow Kelsey Hill and Mahomes weren't going to... Somehow they were going to get five touchdowns without going through those guys. That some people just weren't going to play them. I thought that was ridiculous. But that's why I looked at Kelsey and I said, said the Chiefs are going to score five touchdowns. Like, on a median perspective. Like, Kelsey yep. is a red zone target. And, like, yeah, the touchdown variance is higher. But, like, there's no reason why Kelsey can't beat Kittle here. There's the absolutely... The, he's a better quarterback than Jimmy G. So... If the difference in ownership, Eric, was Kittle was going to be 28% in cash and Kelsey was going to be 20% in cash, it was kind of the thing like if the if the, if the the industry narrative and the projections were kind of like, well, either or if you have the 400, get up to Kittle, but Kelsey's whatever. No, it was very clear that Kittle, Kittle, Kittle all day. Then, then you take all the knowledge of all the concepts, the levers that you have and how to apply it. And go, what's the best strategy for me in my contest that I'm playing? And then executing that. Next slate, it could be completely different. Next, The slate after that could be completely You have to be able to assess the slate at the time, in real time, even a couple of days before. And judge and go, what, what do I think is the optimal decision for what I'm doing? Rather than think, this is very similar uh, to, to people ans- ask questions in the RG Discord to me. But I constantly have to say, there's no such thing as always or never. There's no such thing as a rule. You always, oh, you should, should, should I block here? Like, should I block Kittle? Should I just play Kittle even though I think Kelsey's a better play because everyone else is playing Kittle? Well, it depends. It, it, mm-hmm. it really depends. So in single entry play uh, that, you, that you were playing, or three max, Eric, what, what were your, because you said that you planned very similar yeah. to, to me. But obviously, you were starting out with not a, not a, like a chalk cash lineup. So, what was your decision making before the slate, and then at like that that four p.m. Eastern before the late game type of time? 
Yeah. So it's it's a little bit similar, but obviously with the GPP spin, right? The and and, and when we take into account like higher stakes and, and and single entry and stuff, particularly higher stakes. So obviously the 49er Seahawks game, just like exactly as you outlined, was going to be the most popular Kittle, Jimmy G, Lockett, um, Metcalf to a lesser extent. He he did get a little bit more ownership than I think I I originally thought. And and even born like all these guys, all these guys are twenty plus percent um, at a minimum in in higher stakes. So which which okay that that's fine. But I, so I know that going in. And then the other kind of interesting factor is with all the weather, and with very minimal value, we saw these Jets wide receivers like really. I mean Denzel Mims was like the highest on wide receiver on the slate or, 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 or right there at, at higher stakes, like in the one, th- the $1,000 million maker. Yeah. Mims was like one of the highest owned players on, on the slate. So, so what, what tends to happen with guys like Mims on slates like this week, when there's such minimal value, you know, it happened to be Denzel Mims this week, but when there's such minimal value and you get these kind of random, especially on like these shitty teams just popping, you do get a little bit of like ownership correlation with the opposing team. So all the chiefs, just like you said, there was just a tiny projection difference in say Mahomes and Russell Wilson and Tyreek and Lockett and Kelsey and Kittle. And then even Demarcus Robinson or (laughs) maybe on Bell people, people buying that bullshit was funny, but you know, there's just this tiny bit of projection difference and so when people are already needing value to fit Kareem Hunt and Derrick Henry, Kamara, whoever, you get a little bit more boosted ownership in these higher stakes tournaments on those Chiefs guys. Um, you know, it, it wasn't like a ton, but but those guys were not like low owned at, at higher stakes. That actually became like the second most popular game stack. And so, you know, I kind of thought about that, that all of that going in and with all the weather. I really wanted to pivot my main game stack into something that was going to be quite unique, but had like, you know, elite ceiling, which also led me to a little bit different build. And so I really honed in on, on Lamar, on, on the Ravens Steelers game for, you know, a a bunch of different reasons. But the general premise being, you know, this was the one game I felt had like elite ceiling upside with elite ceiling plays that no one was playing. You know, Lamar Jackson obviously has as much ceiling as any quarterback on the slate. We have, he has a, a high upside wide receiver, and there was an and Chase Claypool on the other side was another high upside wide receiver. So I was so I was just two plus one stacking that stacking that game, which gave me, you know, this flexibility and leverage opportunities, which we'll get into in a second. So I honed in on that game specifically, um, and then I was playing. Uh, t- I was deciding on which two running backs to play. I ended up on Henry, Henry and Hunt just because of how construction worked out. But I just wanted to, same thing. I'm trying to jam ceiling. And in my opinion, those guys had, had the ceiling, you know, Henry's floor is low, but he has, as we've seen 40, 50 point point upside. So I was trying to jam ceiling, but what all this planning was doing was I, I identified the stack. I wanted to play this, this high upside, low owned stack. And I identified kind of the ceiling running back options that I wanted to play. But it let, it let, I wanted to leave open a few spots to to have you know swap options, leverage options, whatever. Because of pretty much what you said, I'm gonna know going into the afternoon. You know, I had a plan of attack, and I ended up not. I ended up not swapping because what I wanted to happen kind of played out, um, which I'll get to in a second. 
I went in with a plan of attack and it, it actually revolved around DJ Dallas and, and that opened up for me. But I, I didn't know that go, you know, before the slate started. I, there was no guarantee that like Chris Carson wasn't going to play. We thought Chris Carson and Hyde weren't going to play. We thought Homer was going to be hurt, but we didn't know that. So um, you know, I'm play- I had three roster spots open, a wide receiver, a tight end, and flex, which gave me basically like a, a just – I kept going through and basically like finding even more 3v3s that were possible. But it gave me like infinite leverage opportunities if I needed to gain leverage off of all those popular plays, right? There's the Seahawks and 49ers wide receivers that I can figure out a way to leverage. There's Or, or Keenan Allen. There's Kittle. You know, um, it was mostly just Kittle, I guess, in the afternoon at, at, at tight end. But I had plenty of other, other tight end options at, at all different price points, even if I wanted to punt it. And then there's, you know, in the flex, I have all this, all this other flexibility. So I went in with the plan of DJ Dallas, Brandon Ayuk, and, and Hunter Henry, which is what I ended up sticking with. But I wanted to, you know, have the information of how, if, if Lamar Jackson went for 45 and he, and Hollywood Brown went for 40 and Claypool went for 30, you know, my decision-making might become different. I don't need to leverage Keenan Allen and George Kittle, whatever. I, I can make, you know, the, the quote unquote best team, right? Because I'm beating everyone already. I'm in, I'm, I'm, you know, no one played the the stack that I played. If that stack is the nuts, I don't necessarily have to leverage Keenan Allen, you know, or I don't have to leverage Lockett or I don't have to leverage Kittle. I can play my, you know, the, the best plays, whatever those are to me. But I went in with the plan of, okay, I'm going to, you know, I wasn't leveraged, but he was just kind of my favorite, personally, my, my, my favorite play. And there was enough kind of, okay, I don't have Jimmy G. And I know Kittle's going to be popular and Bourne's going to be reasonably popular. So it at least like held Ayuk's ownership in check. And then I was able to play Hunter Henry at tight end as leverage off of off of Keenan Allen and being a low owned different tight end than than Kittle and at a different price point. And that also had me avoiding the Seahawks wide receivers. And DJ Dallas did open up, um, you know, at, at 4K with with the other running backs hurt. So it kind of it helped me still play like those were like my favorite plays. That's what I went in with my plan of attack was to play those guys. Um, and I stuck with it because it provided me with, you know, enough leverage um, and enough upside to, to still do well enough, despite the fact that like my stack didn't really hit. It didn't really, you know, I played Kareem Hunt. He didn't hit. My stack didn't really hit, but I had enough leverage points and uh, you know, enough upside still left in my team, but I was planning for all these different factors, right? What, what, if, if I hit my ceiling, what happens? You know, who am I playing? Or, you know, if, if, if DJ Dallas doesn't open up, right, Chris Carson's active. Okay. Now, now I need to, okay. Maybe now maybe I need to play Metcalf or now maybe I need to go up to Kamara and I need to go down to, or maybe I need to go down to Mike Williams. You know, Mike Williams becomes my leverage point and I need to go, you know, there's just, it, it, it was, there was a ton of different three V threes, but all like the whole morning I had pretty much decided like on Saturday, Friday or Saturday that I was playing this, this Lamar stack. So the whole, like my whole weekend was spending, figuring out, you know, what my swap options were, what, what, what do I, if, you know, a bunch of if then statements, if, if, if I'm winning, you know, if I'm at the top of tournaments before these afternoon sites, who am I playing? If, if DJ Dallas doesn't open up, who, who, what am I, what am I doing here? You know? Um, So just all that was, was to me the most important, most important part of the slate. You know, if you went in and just were like, okay, I'm just stacking, you know, this or whatever. And no matter what happens with my early guys, you know, if you like, say you only played Kareem Hunt 
right on the early I just randomly throwing something out you played a, a chalk player who totally busted on the early sites if you then went in and you were still playing your Jimmy you know it's you if you only had Dalvin Cook okay maybe now if you do want to play Jimmy G to Kittle and whatever that changes things if you only played Kareem Hunt you know you need to be thinking about those swap options and uh, you you outlined it you know it, perfectly for for cash games but for tournaments it was it was huge this week too you know I know some people that did swap to DK Metcalf off of off of Tyler Lockett you know and there's just those little things are are not only the it, they're infrequently the difference between you know cashing and winning tournaments but they're very frequently the difference between profit and non-profit in a week and that's pretty much what happened for me like I said I ended up not swapping but that wasn't really the point the point was I was figuring out exactly what the best swaps were and planning for those swaps the whole like that was the crux of of my slate like I'm talking spending all Sunday talking through kind of like you were talking about what what I'm building my team for for the contest that I'm playing I'm spending my whole Sunday morning talking through with the people that I talk with okay what about that you know should I just, if, if this happens should I play Metcalf or if this happens should I play you know should I just stick with Lockett whatever um all of that this this was that was like the the you know, main point of this week, you know, last week we kind of had some of the, the cash game stuff. And then we've had like the galaxy brains every week's had like a theme for me, but this week was not only just swapping, like I know on the tape cast or on uh, uh, the Gill cast, they talked about how they profitably swapped to Metcalf in cash, which was great, which was smart and a, a good conversation too, that they had. Um, but just, just that theme of not only being like, Oh shit, I think I'm dead. I need to swap but planning ahead for that, which is something people don't do because you said it too. Having more information is, is like so, so important and people don't think about it. No, no, uh, no. Bail- I mean, like, I mean, we, 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 I mean, 99% of people don't late swap. I hope that if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, it's, we have, we cover this in, in the course, in, in the chapter on exploits. I just overall exploits because you have more information. How do you exploit the inattention of your opponents? How do you exploit the, 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 the lack of, you know, that they never swap or they, you know, anything that involves extra information and the tendencies of your opponents, you should be taking advantage of. And I think this is a, an eye-opening conversation because many people think of late swap as something you do in case one of your players gets injured, right? right. They, they think in terms of, of maybe a late swap if a, if a new like DJ Dallas. Oh, how do I late swap off? Oh, he became available. But they don't think in terms of what do my lineups look like? What do my opponent's lineups look like? And how could I eat more points that that I could get that they don't get? Right? That's the whole concept of leverage. And you could do it in the in at the top of GPPs. And let's say your lineup like you mentioned before, your lineup if Lamar smashed, right? And Claypool run back smashed. He got a hundred yards or something. You're sitting there with like a two percent. You're sitting there with a two percent don't stack. Like you're sitting. You're unique. Like the rest of your lineup could you could just go into an optimizer and basically uncorrelated even and just yep. jam the chalk and block as many lineups as you could possibly can and try to maintain first place or get up to. You know, that's because you wouldn't be first place at that moment because obviously other slots would be filled in yeah. other lineups, even if it had five points in it. But that's what you'd be thinking of. Most people go, this is my lineup and that's just the way it shakes out. But, and then a lot of people, if they're not at the top, think at the bottom and go, well, I got no chance, right? You know, Claypool had nothing or whatever. It's like, well, 
the difference, if you switch from Lockett to Metcalf, that may mean the difference of not cashing and minimum cashing. Like, don't you, wouldn't you rather just minimum cash? But Lockett is a better play than Metcalf. It doesn't matter if he's a bad, it doesn't matter at that point. It's not the beginning of the slate anymore when we have no information. It's just no player performance information whatsoever. Now you do. You know that your opponents have an average of 20 points more than you. You know that Lockett's going to be 20% more owned than Metcalf. So switch. So switch your guys. Who cares? That's why I said, uh, how do you play David Montgomery? Well, you have to if you don't do it, right? There's going to be a certain percentage of the time that David Montgomery beats Brandon Ayuk in your flex spot. There's going to be a certain percentage of the time. All I know is that David Montgomery is going to be 2% owned and Ayuk's going to be 24% owned. So... All you have to do is, is it going to, is it going to happen more than well, one out of 12 times? Probably. And if you, and if it does, you, you min cash. And if it doesn't, you, you don't, you don't get, you're now in last place. So who cares if you're in last place? If you, if, if the cash line's 117 and you stay pat and you end up with 115, like that's the same thing as getting 60 points. So who cares? So you need to take the information that you have. And if you know that, especially for the late games, you have to come up with a plan of attack in a in, in advance, mm-hmm. especially on a slate where where the chalk game is the late game. If the chalk right. game is the early game, now you're 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 still thinking, you're planning in the back of your mind. It's not the front. Like Eric, you wouldn't be on Sunday morning if the Seattle San Francisco game was the first, was in the one the early time slots. You wouldn't have that many slots. You would be like, you know, do I play, like, you may have, uh, if you didn't play Henry, you have Kamara in your flex, and maybe that's it. And you go, mm-hmm. and Al, and you would have Allen and Kamara, and then you would go, do I switch to Allen Robinson? Right? You would think, right. but you only have one slot, like, you, you have so limited slots that your your options would be so limited at that point that planning it out in advance, like, you have two options. Like, uh, let me just swap to a different guy. But when it's the late game and it takes up half of your lineup, you have to see where the salaries land. Because I was even thinking in my head, although uh, Kelsey and the Packers defense, I could just play Kelsey in the Dolphins defense mm-hmm. and leave money on the table for a swap, right? So I did that, and I like the seven hundred doesn't the, the six hundred doesn't get me anything. Like there was no swap that that it came out that I didn't also leave six more than six hundred on the table. So I thought the Packers defense was like, I think, the third highest projected defense, which defense is so variant, so who cares? Uh, I was playing Jamal Williams, and they were seven-point favorites, so mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, so I don't think about defense like that. I didn't need, I, I didn't need the Saints defense. Like, I, you know, it, it, it wasn't a chalk defense. So It's funny that you say that, though, with because for me, it was actually the opposite. I did need the Dolphins defense when I— I'm playing through all those different three v threes and such. Oh, and you it, needed it was, the salary. I mean, you needed the salary to make those swaps. Yeah. And it was really funny because literally, I think every single one except one of them, like I went through so like six or seven different three v threes, and like all of them, I needed every, I needed all hundred. You know, every, I was coming in at fifty thousand dollars of salary on every single one. So Dolphins, it had to be Dolphins for me. But that's again part of that planning. I had to know all those different swaps. You know, and and what did I need, right? Like you didn't need it, so like why would I play a defense that I thought was a worse play and and didn't correlate with my team uh, when I don't need those six hundred dollars? But for me, I, I needed every penny, so I you have to plan for that too. Like you don't just jam in. Like okay, so, some people like the Browns defense better or the whatever. You know, 
but you don't just jam that in if it fucks you, you know, when, when you're going to, to, you know, plan out your, your swaps. Like if I, even if I like the Browns defense better than, than the Dolphins and I played the Browns and now the afternoon comes and like, like the, the DJ Dallas thing happens and I want to play him and I don't have the 400, what the fuck does it matter? Like I just screwed my, you know, I just screwed myself by, by not planning, you know, right, so then sw- at, swapping, Especially at defense, of, right? At deep, yeah. like to me, I considered in my head in doing the in doing my lineups, in do I play a late defense? Yeah, just in case I just in case I need the money. And then I thought in terms of DJ Dallas and go, well, what happens if DJ Dallas is available? Is it worth like? I, I, but my 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 attitude with DJ Dallas was that like once I plug in Kamara and. Kelsey, once I, once I don't have, once I have a locked Kelsey in my lineup and I have chalk Allen in my lineup, like I just have too much money. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to go from Kamara down to DJ Dallas and leave 4,000 on the table. (laughs) Kamara obviously has a higher raw point projection. So like, like I thought the construction, like the, basically the only way that I could plan for Dallas is if I don't play Denzel Mims or I don't play AJ Green and I don't play Kamara because I'm playing uh, Hunt and Williams. So now I'm playing a wide receiver flex lineup type of, or because I need to start with the wide receiver. I need to start with that. I need to mm-hmm. ha- make another wide receiver available. So if I go from Kamara, like let's say instead of Denzel Mims, because the difference between Kamara and Dallas was 4,200. Mm-hmm. The difference between Mims and Metcalf was what? 40, 4,000. Yeah, something like that. Yeah or Lockett, or something like like one of the Seattle receivers. Yep. Uh, the only way to do that is by not playing Mims, or not playing A.J. Green, like one of those, and putting Al, obviously I'm putting Al in the, in the wide receiver slot, and then, mm-hmm. then, making, then making the swap like that. But I didn't see in the late games, other than Bourne, like a cheap receipt, like I don't want to play Mike Williams in cash games. Like I, I, I didn't want to yep. play... Uh, I already had a tight end spot taken up, so Hunter Henry didn't fit. Uh, I saw Deontay Harris was viable. Not It's not appealing, but it's about it the same as a Mims or a Berrios or anyone in the early games. Same for Demarcus Robinson, but that's an early game. So, like, do I, do I play Deontay Harris here so I can make the DJ Dallas swap? Or do I play Mims and block? Because mm-hmm. I thought, like, Deontay Harris is the type of receiver that He'll go out, Braxton, like, I'm not scared of Braxton Berrios. So Deontay Harris will go out, uh, maybe he has a six for 60 game and like, okay, whatever. Uh, Mims, uh, his athletic profile is that like, if the Jets stay in this game, he could, he could put up a hundred yards and a touchdown, like, and he's going to be 50 plus percent on, like, is it worth that? I could do that, but is it worth that for, for D and I think in my head, is it worth it for DJ, DJ fucking Dallas? <laughs> Right, and who, who Homer could still be active and get more stats than it. Like we, this is this is a completely like unknown situation. They had Belor there, the fullback, getting some work also. So he wasn't a slam dunk. It's just that the 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 I I wanted the optionality, but the lineup construction in cash with a four K running back was just not feasible without already knowing that that was going to be like. If you were going to stick with that build, you stuck with that from the beginning. Like, you yeah. would have had to say, I'm putting... You would have actually thought of it in reverse, Eric. Like, in cash. Maybe not in GPP. In, re- in cash, you would have gone, 
I'm playing Hunt, I'm playing Williams, I'm playing Dallas. And then building your lineup like that, and then thinking, okay, if Dallas doesn't play, if Carson is active, how do I switch to a a lineup that is acceptable enough to me? Mm -hmm. And the only way that I could do that, I saw, is with playing either Deontay Harris, which I didn't necessarily want to, instead of Mims, or Kendrick Bourne, which defeats the purpose of me playing Kelsey, right? It defeats the part, like, now I'm trying to non-correlate my lineup, and now Mm -hmm. I'm playing... Now I'm playing more correlation in my lineup, and it defeats my my general strategy of how I was doing it. But I think th- this conversation that we're having, I mean, th- th- you don't you don't hear about this. I mean, also because it's kind of hard, like it's kind of hard to have this conversation on a Thursday before a Sunday slate. Yeah. But what we were talking about, me and you, is what should be going through your head every slate. Like this isn't like a this is what good players do do especially in single entry and cash games. When you're playing 150 lineups, you're thinking about it also, but in the scope of, well, I'm going to throw my lineups in a late swaptimizer and I'm going to re-optimize. You know, sometimes yeah. I'll, I'll download my CSV again, my, my, my entries, and I'll take the lowest, you know, 50 lineups. Or, you know, I'll, sort, I'll, I'll do a data sort by like, you know, give me all my AJ Green lineups. Give me, give me all my Galladay Zero lineups. I had a plenty of Galladay Zero lineups. Galladay Hilton <laughs> combinations, right? That, that the, the injury correlation there, yeah, I got yeah. that right. Right? Both of, both of them got injured. They did, one of them got injured, then the other guy got injured. Uh, but I'm taking those those lineups, and then I'm, I'm basically going into lineup HQ, into the, the entries manager, the late swap tool, and then going into my player pool and going, I'm Xing out Kamara. I'm Xing out Allen. I'm Xing out Garoppolo. I'm like, I'm Xing. I'm like, like, dude, I have, I have, I have like four points combined out of like eleven thousand in salary at wide receiver. Like, the only way I can even salvage these lineups to a min cash is if I just get off all, it just get off all the chalk and whatever happens happens, and I just start, you know, Xing out the chalk guys and then just run. Give me whatever, give me, give me a three plus one. It's probably going to be a Chargers or a Broncos. I had Drew Locke, Locke, Judy, Fant lineups without Allen, with Mike Williams as or Josh Kelly there. And did, did they make it to the cash line? Most of them, most of them didn't make it. Because uh, four points with the two, the two of those guys didn't do it. But yeah. but to, 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 to leave Metcalf in those lineups, like, seemed pointless. Like, if any, it seemed Lockett in those lineups that make those, to leave Kittle in those lineups. Like I'm not, I'm never going to make it to the cash line if they do well because I'm so far behind. That can I salvage some profit off of those lineups off today? But I can't do that by hand because I have I have a hundred of them. Mm-hmm. Like, but when you're a single entry three max player and a cash player, like you, you could think out those things in advance. You could do that on your phone. You could, and even even if you're just taking out those three players and going, what fits in these spots? And then writing it down, then just go, I'm going to play this lineup, and these are the three spots that are left for the late game. And even if you don't know what you're going to do, maybe maybe at, at 12.30, you know, a half, you take the last half an hour before before you start watching Red Zone, and you write them down. Write, write down what fits in these three spots. And just, you, I mean, you could do this on the computer. You could do, I mean, you could do it in, you could put this into an optimizer, lock all, all those three players X out all of the early guys and then just run it and just see like what are the what are all the combinations that equal those salaries and, and their projection. You could do that. But if you're by hand, you could just 
go, oh, if I switched from uh, Will, oh, I could switch from Allen to Bourne and Garoppolo to Wilson. Oh, let me write that down. I could switch from this guy to that and then write that. So now, at least for the next three hours, you, you didn't have to do that at like 15 minutes before the late game's lock. You have a sheet, a reference sheet going, okay, which is the best option for me to do now? And you have a little sheet to, to go. I mean, you could do it that I do it with the optimizer way because mm-hmm. to me, that's the most efficient way of doing it. That you open up a new instance of a lineup HQ and because I don't want to leave, I, I still have my exposures and everything in there. And then I just lock, I lock my cat. I locked all of Kelsey and everything like that. And I just run it and I look at what's the top projected lineup. What's the top projected line. And then I look, I go, what's, what's the top projected lineup without Kittle? What's the top projected lineup without uh, Garoppolo? And I go, okay, now I know what fits in these lineups. So if I need to, I know the highest projected lineup that I don't have to, like, I'm not blocking. Like, I want to block. Like, should I be playing Kittle in the, in the, in the flex uh, to block Kittle? What's the difference in projection between my lineup with Kittle in it versus my lineup with Kamara and Allen in it? Is the block worth it? And I saw that the block, it turns out that the block wouldn't have been worth it uh, because Kamara and Allen, they, they, they projected like five points high. That lineup projected five points higher than the other. So I just, mm-hmm. I'll, take my, my, I'll take my five points and feel free to run. I already got 28 out of Kelsey. Go try to run me down now, okay? Yeah. Okay, right. Kittle lineups, kid, keep on going. Uh, but each AJ Green made it a little, little different decision. Harry, yeah. Uh, but uh, I mean, I the, 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 this is DFS, right, Eric? I mean, like we 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 have not talked about. We we've been talking for, for nearly an hour, not about the best plays, not about who would matchups or anything like this. That no matter what stakes contest you're playing, no matter what opponents you're playing no matter what contest sizes or anything that the diff it, if you're especially if you're at the break even level like if you're a break even player if you've been playing for 2 3 years 4 years there are some people I've gotten emails people that have been playing for 5 years I've been playing for 5 years that email me going I never considered this thank you and now I'm doing it more and and my results are getting better and this could be the difference late swap especially when 99% of people don't use it Late swap could be the difference between you being a slightly losing player and a slightly profitable player over the course of a year, over the course of two years, no matter what stakes that you play, that why not? It's it's free edge that you could have that. I know we went through the thought processes, but these thought processes take what in our heads? Three to four minutes? I mean, like it's, we're, we're not, we're not stressing out. We're not, you know, you know, the, the writing down, we're not going into uh, writing algorithms. We're not, you know, we don't have planners out and whiteboards out doing this. It's just, just common sense of like, well, what, what are my options going to be in the late set of games that give me the most chance of making the best decisions with the new information? You could think that Lockett is going to smash, but it doesn't matter if you're 20 points behind. It doesn't, it doesn't okay. matter anymore. You, your your lineup is now behind. If you're ahead by 80 points and you think Lockett is, it, it, you think Metcalf is going to smash or Kittle or, or you think Kittle's going to have a bad game or something, it's it's strategically better to play that guy. I mean, like, that's why we, that's why we look at projections. That's why you make projections. 
And you go, how do we compare these players to one another? And then compare it to the ownership and see which is more profitable if we did this a thousand times, if we did it 10,000 times. So like my, my switch from Kelsey, from Kittle to Kelsey was not made because there was something about this slate that I like Kelsey more than Kittle. Kittle projected better than Kelsey. Mm-hmm. But I thought Kelsey had just as much shot at 28 points as Kittle does at 11 times less ownership. And uh, it uncorrelates my lineup. So I chose to go that route. You could have chose to go the other route. And was there a correct or incorrect uh, like answer to that? No. It, it, you're, you're, these are a fine line. You're going, what's the... I think my lineup is plus EV with Kittle in it. I think it's slightly... I think I could make a little bit more money by doing this and entering triple-ups and head-to-heads. And over the course of a year, if you're constantly making those types of decisions, those little edges, if that's a 2% edge, let's say that's a 2% edge, right? But I'm playing like $10,000 worth of volume. So 2% edge is 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 what? 200 bucks, right? Something like that. But you're playing, you're playing slates all the time, right? You're playing... You, this is not just one week. Like, I'm going to be playing and thinking of those types of where's my 2% edge like that next week and the week after. And then in MLB slates every day. And then in NBA slates every day. If you're able to gain a half a percent of 1%, let's say it's 1% on $2,000 worth of volume. So we're talking about what? 10 bucks, right? On $2,000. Uh, but that's every day. So you're playing, let's say, 350 slates. Like, that That could equal like $3,500. In raw money, like is it that that that's like that's like a quarter of a year's mortgage? I mean, like yeah. on, on doing on, on on light swaps. I mean, just in and of itself. Obviously, the lower stakes you play, that the money, but it's all in comparison to to what you're playing. So, so I know I'm going to say this, and many people, and a lot. Hey, there's a lot of top players that don't light swap out of laziness, and they'll be the first ones to admit it. There are plenty of times. That I've not, I've not, I'm sorry. I've not gone to my $5 head-to-heads and seen where I've blocked. I'm playing 50 of them. And it is what it is. I'll go into my 215s and 109. I'll go into those. But I just, I just is the time worth it for the 2% edge, right? On $5. Right. Compared to what I'm playing, it isn't. So if you see top players not swapping in your $5 head-to-heads, it's not because they're stupid. They're prioritizing their time on the things that matter more for money. Like they're, if they're playing, if, if they're playing a $10,000 head to head, I guarantee you that I guarantee you look, they're looking to see if they're blocked. So mm-hmm. they're not going into the $5 one. So, uh, I mean, Eric, you, you, I mean, especially in single entry where you only have like, you know, one, two, three lineups to worry about like this much, this actually must take up more of your mind share than even me. And it, I, I truly and firmly believe with how, and we've, we've talked about plenty of kind of like the evolution of DFS over, you know, e- even just this NFL season, but over the last like five years since, you know, we, we have been playing, the game has changed so much, you know, there's no projection edges. There's, there's, there's not even much like, you know, not even a ton of like correlation edges. There are some that we obviously talk about here, but like in general, those edges have, have massively decreased over over the years and even over recent weeks like for nfl specifically the one that i think is just stands out far and away is late swap however you want to whatever you want to call it right I, I i prefer it's like getting more information 
the more information you have, the better decisions, you know, the more plus EV decision you, you can make, whether that's cash games, whether that's tournaments, whatever, you setting yourself up with more information to better take advantage of your opponents is always better. And no one does it. And, and, and like you said, people only think about late swap in the sense of, shit, I played Lamar Jackson and he got hurt. Now I got to do something. Or somebody got late scratched, right? So, oh, shit, I got to take that. You know, I was playing Jason Tatum and he got late swap or late scratch, so I have to take him out. And, and yes, of course, that's part of it. But the real part of it is getting more information that your opponents don't have and being able to leverage against them because of that, or, or not leverage against them. You know, not, not, I have the nuts, right? We de we described the situation where I have the two percent stack that is the stone cold nuts, I, and I'm going into the afternoon game. Well, now I don't, I, you know, I go through my contest and I see I, I don't have to leverage anybody. I just play the best plays, and I'm going to pass the few the people that are in front of me because they don't have anybody left. You know, or, you know, or shit, I am dead. I played T. Y. Hilton and Kenny Galladay. What can I do? to over the long term make up make back some of that money that I wasn't going to get back if I if I didn't swap it's it's hard for in my opinion it's hard for the casual user to to tangibly see the benefit right as opposed to like picking the best plays or playing the best stack or whatever you can tangibly see that right as the results start to pour in but it it it's like you said it's like a 2% edge um, so, sometimes, sometimes maybe more, you know, I, I actually think it applies just as much to all sports. We def, we described a good example from this week where it, it's really fitting for NFL, but you know, for NBA, a lot of the times I will not like outright fade early games, but if there's, you know, if I have any sort of, of question about say some later game, later game players playing or, you know, they're questionable or whatever, there's potential edges in waiting and waiting out that news, even if you end up being wrong. You know, uh, uh, a lake if Steph Curry is questionable, right? So he's in in the projections. You know, the projections have Steph Curry in, so none of those Warriors are are projecting well. But if 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 I want to wait and see, get that information that my opponents don't have, and oh shit, that that you know, like I said, so maybe he sits two out of ten slates with this injury. But those two slates now I have you know Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant or whatever on, on my roster at. 2% that my opponents don't have. That was kind of the similar process of this NFL slate. I'm waiting out that extra information, whether it's DJ Dallas, whether I need to leverage off of Keenan Allen shock, whether, you know, whatever, getting all of that information is, is so valuable, so much more valuable than the average person thinks, because it's hard to tangibly see when you go into a slate, how, how I'm going to benefit from it. Cause you don't actually know. I didn't know. <laughs> you know, I, I had no idea. I had, my six, like you said, I, you know, I didn't write them down, but I had it planned out. Like if this happens, if I'm crushing, here's the three V3 I'm going to play. If I'm totally dead, here's the three V3, you know, like Allen Robinson was in that. I'm like, I fucking hate Allen Robinson. I don't want to play Allen Robinson. But if Lamar scores 10 points and did Hollywood zeros, which he almost did, like if, if bad stuff happens to me, I, I can't play any. I got to play the 1% guy. You know, I, I got to try to make, I got to, you know, I need the Allen Robinson 50 burger <laughs> to, to make, to, to, to get lucky and come back and, and make up points and make up points on the field. Different shit like that. Baseball, it works too, right? Everybody's playing the Yankees. Everybody's playing the Yankees at six o'clock at seven o'clock, whatever time zone you're on. Everybody's playing the Yankees in the, in the, in the first, you know, they're the highest zone stack. Sure. Okay. You can like try to get cute and pivot off different Yankees, or you can just wait. 
well, just 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 see what happens, right? Like, okay, shit, that sucks. The Yankees score ten runs, you lose. Move on to tomorrow, or you can wait and they score three runs. And now, you know, I don't I don't really know what I was gonna do, but now maybe I just play the Dodgers. You know, now, you know, now, or like, you know, you do vomit stacks, right? Now I just jam the two best, the two best pitchers in because I'm, I'm, all my opponents have shit hitting points. So, so I can play the Marlins or the Tigers or whatever and just jam the, the hitting points in. You know, there's just all these different variables that you're, that you're thinking about that having that extra information, you know, is, is so absurdly valuable. It's just hard to see, I think, for the casual user exactly yeah. how it how it gains me a, a, an edge in a tangible way. Well, I think I think it's more due to the fact two reasons. One, people's misinterpretation of how DFS is scored. It's based on relative mm. value, not absolute yeah. value. So, like, well, mm. why would I switch? Uh, why would I switch uh, to uh, Tyler Lockett to Allen Robinson? Tyler Lockett's obviously the best play. It's like yeah, but more of your opponents get those points also. So mm-hmm. like you're not you're not gaining anything. Like yes, if he scores thirty if he scores thirty four points and Allen Robinson scores ten, you didn't gain anything. But the the thirty four great, you gained thirty four points and still came out of the cash line. Like it doesn't right. matter. It doesn't matter at that point how many points he scores. He's based on projections. He's we 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 all agree with you. Tyler Lockett is a better play than Allen Robinson. How much of a better? Is he going to, Tyler Lockett going to beat him out 99 out of 100 times? Of course not. It's not going to be to that extent. But you're at the point where you're so far behind that, like, you can't, you have to find points that other, your opponents in the field doesn't have. But also the second thing is, uh, which is talked about extensively throughout the entire course, and this is, and how you should really be viewing DFS is that it's not about one slate. Like, what we're talking about is not about what was the swap on this slate. It's, I know I'm going to be wrong more times than not, but I'm going to be right enough that I make, I'm, I'm profitable doing it. I mean, it's the general consensus. I mean, it's it's literally GPP play. Of, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's... You're going to be wrong 90% of the time. I'm telling you outright that it, it, I'm wrong 90% of the time. But the 10% of the time that I'm right, I make so much more money that it makes up for all the 90% of the time. And then I had still, on top of that, have way more money. The thing is, I if I if let's say we we ran it 10 times, right? 10 situations like this, right? You wait on the Yankees, right? You say, I'm going to fade the chalk Yankees and wait. I'm going to, uh, the, the Wizards are chalk in the early game and everyone's <laughs> playing Bradley Beal with no John Wall. And, and there's, there's, there's other guards in that range that are, have just as high of a ceiling as Bradley Beal. And Bradley Beal is going to be 40% owned. One of those, I don't know who, who the guard's going to be. That's going to beat Bradley Beal, but maybe one of them does. I don't know who I'm going to play, but maybe I take a shot on four of them. And then some of them are in 8:30 games, in 9:30 games. Let me see what Bradley Beal does. If Bradley Beal puts up a 60 burger or something like that, well, I'm, I'm probably losing. But I mean, I have to stick around on those players. And then if Bradley Beal puts up a dud, now, now I can start switching stuff around. Now, now I'm, now I'm rolling. Now I'm paying up at center that no one else could do to pay because mm-hmm. no one wanted to play in B because they'd rather pay up for the Disney. Uh, then you could do those types of things. But understand that if out of Nine out of those ten times. I'm exaggerating. It's probably even even less. Probably going to be right 
on those swaps uh, three out of ten times. If I'm going to say if it if I had to put a number on it, three out of yep. ten, that it it will work out in your favor. Maybe it if it works out in your favor and you win a GPP because of it, great. But I'm just talking about from it. It ends up with you having more profit than what you started with by not making that decision three out of ten times. The issue is I can't tell which of those three that it's going <laughs> that it's going to happen. Yeah. Okay. This is the, this is the concept. I've had conversations with other people that are that are that I'm I'm pseudo coaching. I'm kind of instruct like they they're kind of getting these are these are sports people. Right, these are people that are like I know the game better than you. I come from season long. I'm gonna beat the crap out of you with uh, with you know I know the the offensive schemes and defensive schemes and the coaching tendency, all that type of stuff better than you. And I say I could barely identify any defensive players on the field, and I make more than you. Uh, it's 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 to wrap tangibly, like you say, tangibly wrap your head around the concept, and you see this in the I would say 95 percent of DFS players. The 95% of DFS conversations on Twitter, in Discord, and everything are, uh, I should have known, uh, Kareem Hunt was bad chalk. Like, no, the term bad chalk and good chalk are descriptive terms, not mm-hmm. predictive terms. In statistics, that's that's a concept. What's predictive and what's descriptive? So when you say bad, you, do, you don't know if it's bad until afterwards. So that's the, at who's going to be bad chalk this late? Well, you know that most likely, out of these six chalky players, there's going to be one of them that's going to be bad. Sometimes it's two. Sometimes it's sometimes it's fucking all of them. Sometimes they all hit. But can I can I point out which one of the six? I know one of I I could say for certain. I can make you a bet right now. One of the six chalkiest plays on next week's slate is going to bust. Yep. I don't know which one. I don't know which one it is. I'm not. I'm not even going to bother wasting my time trying to figure out which one it's going to be because we don't. We never know what it's going to. I mean, you don't know as much as you think you know. So with these swaps that maybe work out thirty percent of the time, twenty, ten percent of the time, they think in terms of, oh well, I swapped and it didn't work. So is late swap worth doing? And I'm like, well, it's a it's a one one game sample size. I mean, that. My my question to a lot of people, especially in NFL. Because uh, in MLB and NBA, obviously you get more games, like the, the you know more interactions. Like especially NBA, yeah. you get tons more interactions. MLB towards the you know the last half of the season, you have a way bigger sample size, and obviously you have a historic sample sizes of 162 games. But Mike Trout ain't gonna turn into a pumpkin. I mean, like like his <laughs> prior is going to hold, right? Right. Chris Davis's prior maybe maybe starts declining after a while. Uh, but in a 17-game, I mean, NFL is 17 games. Like, that in and of itself is a small sample. And five seasons is, I mean, we're talking about 85 games. Even that, it, even that is kind of low confidence. And that's five years worth right. of data. Like, in order to play a 162-game season in, 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 the, in baseball, that's like a decade of NFL games. And that's one season in baseball. And you know how much variance there is in baseball? Tons of variants, even, yeah, exactly. even in a 162 game season. So when people are trying to think in terms of like what is going to happen this week, I always I, I, my reply a lot of times now when people give me stats, and I'm I'm not disagreeing. Like it, it, here's here's the concept. 
because uh, we talk about it with like BVP. I know Cardi does it all the time. Uh, when someone says to me, for instance, Dalvin Cook, right? We should have all seen Dalvin Cook, right? Packers have a horrible run defense. You know what my response to that? Six game sample size. That's all I have to say. Once I say six game sample size, I, I negate and who knows if the Packers have a bad run defense. We only have a six game sample size. It, the more the hot, the larger the sample size gets, the more confidence we could have that that's true. It could be that the back, you're absolutely right. If we only had a one game sample size and you said the Packers defense was bad, uh, run defense was bad, I'd say one game sample size. At two, I'd say, well, that's still better than one, but it's still only a two game <laughs> sample size and it's three is still better than two. So like as we get further up, you can get more confident that it's real. It, it Just like with BVP in baseball, batter versus pitcher. The reason why you shouldn't look at it is because of sample size. It's not because BVP doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. BVP most likely exists. The problem is you can't figure out when it does because of the sample size. Like there's no, like most likely this thing exists, but we ne- we don't have 500 at-bats for a player. And, and if you and even if you have 80 at-bats for a player, it's against a pitcher that they faced 12 years ago, and they're totally different players now. So who cares about the two home runs they hit eight years ago? It like you just you have a sampling bias problem that it could be real. You could look at NFL stats and go, well, they play man this many times. This guy gets open separation, all that type of stuff. All that type of stuff is probably real, but in in the small sample size, you're not going to be able to predict on a specific game. What what's real and what's not real? You're gonna get because gonna there's get, also other there's other variables, right? That like just take that in a silo: good run defense, bad run defense. That's the the coaches know. Like this isn't a, this isn't a fucking video game, you know? Like the, the coaches know that too. You, you don't think the Packers are well aware that the Vikings want to give the ball to Dalvin Cook and want to run. Yes, I know they did not stop it. And yes, so far statistically this year, I would agree. I am I am like more, you know, between the two of us that cares a little bit more about the football related stuff, it's definitely me. But I hate that argument. Like, A, it, ta- it doesn't take into account the fact that the game flow of a game impacts everything way more than like good offense, bad defense, whatever. No, well, of course. Like, Vikings... I, I brought up the point, Eric, to just to interject that yeah. – because I've had these conversations where, like, I look at it from a perspective. Like me, I look at long-term. I'm going to be playing this every day. I'm going to be playing DFS every day, every week, every slate, every whatever. And I go, uh, the most correlative, like, like I have one, uh, the Vegas line could be wrong. I'm like, do you know, there's no more efficient number in all mm-hmm. of sports than the closing line of NFL games. That if you right. correlate, if you put that on a graph, the R squared is going to be higher than like fucking anything you could possibly imagine. <laughs> that if that total comes down to seven points, yes, it could go over today. I don't, but I don't know if that day is today. I don't know. Yeah, it's that's why you said when you, you're you're uh, confusing predictive and descriptive, and a lot of Correct. people are looking at what would be considered descriptive statistics because they have low, they have they don't have enough data to be predictive. They could, you could be right. You could be wrong. And the, the course of variance and variance in a football game, like you said, game flow, take a look at that Dolphins Rams game. Okay. If you would have told me beforehand, you would have said, you would have correctly, 
correctly stated that the Rams, that McVay is, is, looks to run. I mean, like, they're a very run-first heavy team. They do play action, right? And that's why mm-hmm. they run a lot. Uh, the Dolphins' defense isn't bad. I mean, they're a good defense, but you would expect the Rams to beat them. You expect the the uh, the, the O-line, D-line mismatch for the Dolphins is is horrible, right? Yep. I mean, you expect Tua to have be scrambling all the time, you know, getting <laughs> sat, you know, like whatever. Uh, and that Henderson's going to be able to get five, six yards of carry against the the Dolphins' D-line. Uh, all you know, all you know, what needs to happen in order for all of that information to go out the window? For the Dolphins to get a quick score early or a defensive touchdown, and now the or, Rams are behind two touchdowns. What, <laughs> yeah, once, exactly. once the Rams are behind two touchdowns, then it all of your all of your research that doesn't matter anymore, right? Once once the the once the Vikings get up on the Packers, then it's not oh well uh, you know the Packers are favored by seven points, so I'm not going to play Dalvin Cook, even though the Packers have because the, I, I expect the Packers to win. Well, no. Now the now the Vikings are up two touchdowns. So now Dalvin Cook is running every goddamn play, right? <laughs> and now Devontae Adams is getting target. Now, now everything, but it's it's all in. The, it, it could all happen on one one broken play, one like all of your research that you could do for twenty hours throughout the week could fall completely on its head in a single play of an NFL game yep. and in a slate of eleven games. You're going to see that one play happen in like half of them. Right, if if you were mm-hmm. able if you were able to predict like to that certainty, you should be betting on fucking closing lines. Like if you yeah, if we wouldn't that, be here. Right, you wouldn't be we right. Wouldn't you'd be, be talking about this. Yeah. Right, you wouldn't be talking about. It. You'd be you'd be betting offshore and making millions of dollars if you could do it. Right, but the the re the the reason is that if out of eleven games, five have some variant event that flips literally flips everything that you could that it that it well they have a bad pass cut well it doesn't matter they're running the ball now or they uh, <laughs> that an injury happens like like oh a receiver gets injured an lineman gets injured you know their best uh the cornerback gets injured i mean in the middle of a game we see this every week the problem is is that out of the 11 games i could say that on average five of them something like that happens right mm-hmm. on average right five three three to five something uh, the problem is, is that you can't possibly fucking predict what games that's going to be. You, there's, there's no, there's, there's, there's no, the Chiefs could blow out the Jets. Like, look, we saw the game before with the, with the Broncos. Same situation in the, in the, in the, in the snow. And like none of the Chiefs players get there because the Chiefs, the defense scores the two touchdowns. And now, yeah, yeah, this Chiefs still put up a lot of points, but didn't have much fantasy value at a Hill and Kelsey and Mahomes. And then you have the Jets, where it should have been it. It's a blow. It was a blowout, and it was through all those. Play, I mean, and it was through all those players, and and then you think in your head, well, how about garbage time? What Mims gets there in garbage time? Levy and Bell will come on and get a revenge touch. No, that did. Why are you predicting the outcome of an exact thing when one play and one thing could, like it, it's it's gone. Like don't why and and then those players are owned on top of it because everyone's thinking of. <laughs> I need to predict every event in the game. This yeah. is what I talk about. I, I literally don't predict outcome. Like, what's the point? When people are telling me I'm stupid for playing the Colts, right? The Colts-Detroit game, because it's the only dome game and low ownership. And there's less ambiguity on the Lions side, right? The right. condensed, right? Stafford, Galladay, Jones, Hawkinson, like, 
the Colts could throw to, I mean, they did. They throw to 11 guys. So, <laughs> but people avoid that because, like, I know that. I know I'm embracing, if I'm stacking rivers, like, uh, I'm just going to go Hilton, Pascal, and Burton and just hope that it goes there. Like, yeah. But mm-hmm. but that's the reason why they're lower owned, because it's a lot not as condensed of a target tree. I'm embracing, I'm saying I'm embracing that variance. I'm just like, mm-hmm. let it pour over me. If Mark and Johnson scores and I don't have him, then fuck it. Then I go on to next week. I mean, it is what it is. Or maybe I mix. I had Naheem Hines in, in, in seven lineups. Okay. Cause I was playing so much of that game that I didn't like, who else can I play? And then I didn't want to take, I didn't, I, I was deciding between, do I play Johnson? Do I play, uh, like Mo Ali Cox or something? And I'm like, like, why don't, why don't I just play Naheem Hines? If they, if they have to come back and he's on the field for like a two minute drill, He's a pass catcher, so it's like I'll mm-hmm. play I'll I'll play Hines as the three plus one. Uh, but Galladay zeros got no. I mean that those yeah. lineups got dead anyway. But yeah. people were telling me uh, the Colts like to run, right? The Lions <laughs> like like to run, right? They, they're both these are both run focused teams. First, uh, the Colts keep keep uh, uh, pass catchers in front of them, right? They try to prevent big plays. Mm-hmm. Right, I know you. People act like I don't know football. Like, yeah. like, like I know I I know enough about football. I, I played mad. I know what a cover two defense is. I I, <laughs> I joke around about not knowing the sport. It's just that knowing the sport has no regard to what I'm how I'm playing DFS. So mm-hmm. it's just easier for me to say I don't look at stats and I don't know anything because I don't look at stats. Like I <clears throat> I'm not looking at PFF grades. I'm not looking at any of that. I I, I get the sense that yes, the Colts would rather run the football and the Lions would rather run the football. Right. But one play could happen. Defensive, you know, a fumble in the, in the, in the 10 yard line and short fields and, you know, a broken play, Marvin Jones, 57 yard catch, you know, one of those things type happen. And then all of a sudden the game opens up. So like that could happen in multiple games. And I'm betting, I'm betting it happens in the, in the dome game that yep. I believe was under owned. I bet it would happen in the Chiefs game where people weren't going to play them as much as they should. Thinking about a blowout, Le'Veon Bell, 14% in the Millie Maker. Fine. <laughs> I'll take that because I don't I play any of them. But it's a matter of thinking long-term, not what happened. Like, I, they're, they're, yes, most if, if everything goes according to plan in that Indianapolis-Detroit game, then it's a ton of rushing and the game is goes under 50, right? But the closing lines in NFL are like very efficient. So like that was the, that was the second highest total fucking game on the slate. <laughs> right. I mean, like I'm, I'm, I'm like, people are going like, Oh, maybe I'll try Cam Newton, right? The, the new England Buffalo game. Like this has a 40 total, like, and you oh, go for it. If you want, it's going to be low owned. So if you want to play that and then jam in the chalk, I can't, ultimately argue with that it's a large field play but like i'll take the game that has a 10 higher implied points and you could take the data from now through the through the modern era of nfl since super bowl one correlated to fantasy points the higher implied total games have more fantasy points available to them it's 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 a fact it's a proven it's over all the games ever for the past 60 years so if I see a game that has a 50 total and people aren't going to go towards, like, I'm going to play it over the 40-point total game. Does it happen this week? Like, the, I, I really want to stress that you have to think in terms of 
you're going to be playing and thinking of these decisions and doing so 17 weeks a season. Like, even if I want to condense it to that, how do I play NFL DFS? Well, think in these, these concepts and do that for 17 weeks. Don't judge anything until after 17 weeks is done. And then you could say, was my approach fine? In an NBA season, all the 180 slates you get. There are 200 slates in baseball. I know that I'm. I know when I stack the Pirates and the Tigers and the and the, and the crappy teams on slates where there are stud pitchers and this vomit stacks are going non owned. That I'm going to be wrong like fucking 49 out of 50 times. Like I I know I know it. I'm not saying that today the Tigers get 12 runs. All I know is that. If I take, if every slate I take a shot on a vomit stack, it may not be the Tigers. It could be some other team on that slate. And I and I invest a little bit of money. I'm just investing a little bit of money. If I'm playing 100 lineups, there may be in 20 of them. So like every every slate, I'm investing in some vomit stack because one out of 50 times, they're going to score enough where I'm going to be relevant for a GPP. And then hopefully variance goes my way and... I went first in one or two, typically with those types of, and then I do the other thing the other way where people are like, oh, I'm, you know, they're paying up for pitching and, and playing the, you know, the Phillies are underpriced, so they're chalk. And, and I go, no, I'm going to play the two crappy pitchers and pay up for the Dodgers because no one can, right? Because they're playing, you know, Jacob DeGrub yep. or something. And I'm doing the opposite only because I'm thinking in terms of if this ran out a hundred times, do I stand to make a profit and not caring whether or not it happens this one time, DFS in, in the RG Discord, uh, when people tilt, right? They're like, oh, I shouldn't have played this guy. I should, oh, oh, I lost X amount of money. It's like, well, it's a good thing DFS isn't ending today. Like, like <laughs> if DFS ended today, sure. Okay, now I understand why you're pissed, right? This was your last chance to make some money plus EV and it goes away, right? There's not like, it's, it's, it's there's nothing like, like, dude, just when you play poker, it's just, it's one long game of poker. It's not one hand. It's not one day. It's that's what DFS is. And it's and Eric, let me tell you, to change people's worldview of those two things, the two things of one, there's there's way more variance in sports games than you would that anyone could possibly. I think there's a lot of variance and it's probably more than even what I think. Right. Correct. In games. So most sports and analysis, fan analysis, even. Oh God! Right. If if they're if they're analyzing the game, they, they don't realize how much variance there actually is in an NFL game on a week to week basis, and they don't and they also don't grasp that you know you're that I always go back to the Sklansky quote. I think the Sklansky quote is is like the if you're going to play DFS that's and it's not for for entertainment, and you the it is the it is the number one quote. I'll 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 repeat it every week if needed. When we play, we must realize before anything else that we are out to make money. People, I, I get into arguments with people that go, uh, 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 what, what is your goal when playing a DFS slate? And I'll go, well, I'm trying to figure out who's going to do well. And I go, no, my goal is to make money. Like, there's that, I've, I've no care about predicting the outcomes of games. I'm like, what makes me money? And then they think in terms of, well, that's what I'm trying to do this slate by figuring out the teams that do well so I can make me money this slate. I'm like, no, I'm looking to make money. If you had an investment portfolio, imagine having an investment portfolio of uh, a bunch of, and you had to pick stocks like every day or something. 
and then you tilted based on if the stock went down a point. It's like, what are you? Are you? Are you? Are you taking money out of your Vanguard account tomorrow? I mean, like, like who cares that it went down today? That's why, like, if you take index funds for twenty years, like the the likelihood of you making money is like like ninety nine percent. I mean, the, without a without a you know meteor hitting the earth, it's not sexy. Right, it's not sexy. It's not you know you're not getting a big IPO exit type of thing, but like that you're making decisions that make you the most money over the course of a month, a year, five years, ten years, and the same thing that you're doing in DFS. So you those two, Eric, am I right? Those two worldviews. Once you're able to get out of those worldviews, that's when you become a good DFS player. And the ones that are stuck in those worldviews are the ones that one never become good DFS players or to fight you even when they want to learn. hundred uh, percent. I think we talked about it a little bit last week where it was, I can't forget like uh, exactly what, how we, how we quoted it, but you know, the people that are, are not thinking, thinking in this way. And, and I have the, the com- you know, I'm sure you have tons of conversations like in discord and stuff, but I have conversations with people too, where they're like, you know, oh, I know you think I'm just a chalk donkey or, you know, oh, you know, uh, I just like this guy or what, whatever. And I'm just like, you know, you like talk to me and like you're 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 wanting to discuss DFS. And then I tell you, you know, all these things that I, I'm pretty sure you clearly understand about you know this long term game. We're playing this game and we're playing out, out, out to make money. And then every slate you come and you tilt when Kareem Hunt scores nine points and Jimmy G scores three points and, and, you know, whatever. And you have, you know, you have this, this lineup and you're, you're, you're tilting your face off and two you know, so to the, the two parts to that, like you said, is this is, this is a, a long-term game and you're going to lose sometimes. And the other thing is you're not really taking this seriously to make money. You're out to pick the best plays, you know, and then you come back and tilt like, and, and make jokes about, Oh, you just think I'm a chalk donkey or, or make jokes about me. Like, Oh, you're just, what the fuck are you doing playing chase Claypool? You know, like, like you're, you're, you're crazy. You're just, you know, you're just off the wall, whatever. And like people, like it's difficult to, to get it. Like you said, it's difficult to get it through people's heads just about what we're really doing here. Like, because it's based around sports, because it's based around, you know, the, the outcomes ultimately decide if we make money or not. It's difficult to, to explain to people like the, the late swap thing. It's like, what do you mean? Like, you know, that's, it's not really a complex subject, but it's not something that most people think about it. And, and, and it's certainly not something that anyone ever talks about. Right. It's like well, all it's, these it's, more, it's more, I, I always put it in line with the fact that the, I, cause I know, I know some day traders, Right. Because I was in the financial space, I did web development, and I also knew, because I, I, I was working web development on the day trading sites. Mm-hmm. Like, all those day trading sites, when that was big in, like, the, the late 90s, early 2000s, like, yeah, I was yeah. building the site. So I, I knew, I was on Wall Street, and I knew day traders. Uh, that Other than also being, like, probably on cocaine uh, <laughs> a lot of the time, that, they were making hands over fist. If I asked them uh, about a company, they didn't even know what these companies did. Like the, right. to them, it's numbers like that. They didn't research like uh, anything about like, they don't even know that. Is it, a, is it a, a, does this guy, does this company make widgets or does it provide services for this? It, they know what sector it's in. A lot of times it's like, oh, they're in the pharmaceutical sector. They're in that type of thing, but they're looking for long-term short-term trends in data that correlate to stocks going up and going down. And they're trading stuff within the course of a day. 
where they're up and they sold it. They with two points change and they sold it three hours later. Or they're shorting a position here. They're buying a position there. And then three days later, like they, it's not even in their portfolio anymore. Like these guys did not even, they didn't know anything about the company. They, is this company yeah. profitable? I have no idea. I don't even know what they make. So that to me, that that's what it feels. And I understood what they were saying because because I understand. Like yes, there are plenty of people that look into the financial portfolio. You know, they they're doing all the due diligence on companies. Going well, based on their research, they're going to be making this new product coming out three years from now. And I, I'm seeing a, a, a this and this. There are plenty of good people that do that also. But like at the end of the day, we're we're just we're we're all trying to make money. Like that's the day trader doesn't care whether or not the company goes out of business tomorrow. He doesn't even have the stock tomorrow, right? Like it doesn't even matter. All he knows, can I make plus EV decisions, buying the stock here, selling it there, uh, putting it, you know, at all options. How long should I hold the option? Should I sell it now? Should I hedge it? That's what hedge funds do. Like they don't care about the companies that that they couldn't tell you. They couldn't tell you about that. But then you try to imagine that's the same thing in DFS of like I'm day trading. When I play DFS and there are some days where I get fucking hosed, right? <laughs> There's some guy like, uh, this, I have, I have a high correlation that this, that this event is that this, I'm, I'm building a lineup for an outcome. That outcome doesn't happen. Well, that lineup gets burned and I get to play tomorrow and then I burn it. And then, but I know that based on the long-term data that I stand to make 27 cents on the dollar on playing that type of lineup. So I'm just going to keep on playing those type of lineups until I get uh, realize my EV and keep, and I'm just day trading every day. And you yep. tell me, you tell me, uh, you know, what, what type of formation that, uh, that uh, Jason Garrett likes to play for the Giants. I have no clue. I have no clue whatsoever, but like this guy, all I care about is that this guy at this price is underpriced and underowned, and I'm playing him. And then, let them let the math work out, and then the next slate it could be a different player or a different lineup or a different everything. But you can make all the analogies you want, Eric. If you it, it, it's it's I don't want to bring up politics, but it's very similar to politics. If you if it's your worldview when it gets in anything, I mean it, it could be religion, it could be how you were br- brought up, traditions. When you have a certain worldview, it's it's almost it's very hard to see mm-hmm. things anywhere anywhere else other than that until you until you you have to come to number one. You have to realize that you have a worldview. Right? You had a lot of people don't even know that. They just go that this is the way the world is and I don't under, there's, there's no other way. But once you realize that maybe your worldview is not entirely correct or not entirely accurate. Or there are other worldviews that are equally at least getting to that point. Once you're able to see through multiple people's eyes and multiple ways of thinking, doesn't mean you have to go. It doesn't mean that you have to, oh, I'm going to convert from Judaism to Christianity. You don't have to, you don't have to do that, right? You don't have to do that type of thing. But maybe, maybe, there, maybe you see that there's a more nuanced, like I thought this was 100% correct. Well, now, now maybe you're thinking it's like 70%. Maybe you're like, okay, this side is thirty. Maybe kind of meshing things together. You're going. Maybe you're. Maybe you're doing what what I'm doing. What you're doing, Eric. What all the top players do. It's no coincidence that the top, you know, ten twenty guys on the Roto Grinders leaderboard 
have like backgrounds in finance and applied mathematics and like it's it's not a coincidence the poker everything it's 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 it can't be a coincidence you don't look at those you don't look at most of those guys and go football expert right <laughs> right right you look at them and go well these are these are high IQ uh, data driven math oriented individuals but uh, you could then go in the aspect of like this past slate and think in terms of like what you did with the Pittsburgh. Baltimore game. That's most people look at that game and go two good defenses. I can't play it. Right. I mean, that's if you were analyzing the, the overall from a football aspect, you go, I don't know about this, but with the players that they have on both of those teams, those types of high variance plays, right. A defensive touchdown, a broken play, Lamar Jackson, a 60 yard run. Chase Claypool has an end around that he goes 80 yards to the house. Like those plays are both things that unlock ceilings in game mm-hmm. environments. So you identified that, but you needed to know football in order like I, someone like me, if I didn't, I mean, I knew that also, I just chose not to do that direction, but someone that did, doesn't know football just looks at medium projections and goes, how do you, how do you possibly fucking play that game? But right. No, no. I, I, I think that was, it, it didn't come in priority to the Indianapolis Detroit game for me, mm-hmm. but I understand the play based on you're hoping for variance in this game. And this game, while at the ownership level that it was, one of the, I think it's it, out of all the games, this is the game that could have that one play that opens it up. And that's football knowledge. So you're still playing DF, you're still 90% of what you do, Eric, is, you know, Names on a spreadsheet, who cares? Leverage yep. construction and correlation. But there's still a matter of, well, now when things are very equal to one another, where it's like, I could go here, I could go there, I see leverage here. Putting that priority list together, maybe one notch above another comes down to that nuance in football knowledge. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I still think you need to start with the strategy game aspect. Instead, I, I think you'll get more success knowing being great at the game strategy and then adding your football knowledge. Then we, I mean, we see it within the industry. I mean, I, I, I look, look at how many, look at how many uh, fantasy football people there are in this industry, how mm. many an analysts, fan analysts they are, <laughs> uh, especially from the season long space. And in season long, you don't have to worry about variance as much. You're getting 17 games, right? One game, like, come on, same for fantasy baseball. Yeah. It's kind of, yes. Mike Trout. Yes. He's great. Yes, if you draft Mike Trout, you're going to be – yes, he's going to get 40 home runs. I, I get it. Good luck trying to predict what games they happen in because that's what you have mm-hmm. to do in DFS. So the variance is ridiculous. So I think that uh, you'll have more success. And this is why I always say that uh, I, I could teach an MIT professor how to play DFS with them not, not knowing sports easier than I could teach someone that knows a ton about sports but knows very little about game theory because – at least the MIT professor, like you could you could win just on game strategy more than you could win just on football knowledge. And the football knowledge that you need to know is not as much as you think. And the people that, that know all the stuff about football have yep. such a, a cemented in worldview that it makes it nearly impossible to get the game strategy, the game theory. And the and the long term thinking and the math and the money making 
how this is a stock, like, no, we're playing an economic game. Like, this is not a football game. This is a game of economics. And it's, and that's, I get, fr- I try to help people, but I, sometimes, sometimes I get frustrated. Like, how many examples do I, how many analogies and examples and, and how much, you know, that's why I made the course. I'm, I'm sick. I'm sick of spending the time. That's why you buy the 15 hour course and it goes through all of it. And you can go through and go, maybe I could do bit, bits and pieces here and there, but all I'm saying, and, 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 and I, and I, Eric, are we talking about anything revolutionary? Did we, did no, we God, make no. this up? Did we, did we no. make any of these concepts up? Heck no. No. Like we, like this, this these aren't secrets. This isn't a discovery. I didn't, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just the dude that, not, hey, Bales wrote about this stuff five years ago. Like not to the extent in which it's needed now, but mm-hmm. I mean, there are other people. Dick, uh, Drew Dickmeyer was talking about this five years ago. This is how I learned the concepts to begin with and then applied it and go, oh, that, now I get the game theory of everything related it to poker. And you know, Bales didn't put out a course. I did. I mean, like that, that's, I, that's how I look at it. Like I'm not, I'm mm-hmm. not saying anything that isn't anything special. So I, I was assuming at some point someone would do, someone would talk, would condense this into something. You'd see it. You'd see it on shows. You'd see people talk about it across the space for the past two or three years. And I just said, well, why can't I be the fucking dude that just like, okay, well here, this is, this is what I've been saying it for the same amount of time for two or three years on my streams. So like, I never want to come across that. Like, no, I I made the discovery and like everyone else is stupid. It's like, no, no. Like I, I'm just Joe Schmo that, that, (laughs) that there are hundreds of other people that play exactly this way and win tons of money. And uh, obviously a lot of them in their best interest is for other people not to know it. Right, they're, they're you know they'd rather people not know these concepts, but uh, poker books ended up getting written. Right, theory, yeah. theory of poker happened, and and mathematics of poker and two plus two public. I mean, it happened. So like, I never want to come across that. Like, no, I I found the holy grail. It's like no, the holy grail <laughs> has been found for years. I'm just, I'm just like I'm now now I'm 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 teaching I'm teaching it to you because I've I've been profitable with it, and so. If, hundreds of other people and mm-hmm. it, it, the edge in this game it, it's going to go that it, it is this is the direction it's here and in five years there'll be some other edge i i think i think i think that is something you know and sometimes like touts right we're, we're touts and whatever get like this negative connotation and, and i and i get you know you kind of talked about season long and all that kind of stuff and so there's there's all these levels to that this kind of like a job, but like I, you'll never hear me and you have never heard me, you know, get on a show or write an article where I'm saying like, like you said, I found the Holy grail. I'm smarter than everybody. It's actually quite the opposite. All I've done for years is listen to other smart people, analyze what other smart people are doing. Take the best, take what, take what the best things that I've seen all these other good players and all these other smart players do and now I'm trying to best apply it to my own personal strategy and talk about it. And like us being on this, I'm never having all the right answers. It's, it's helping me too. But I think I'm, I think you and I have learned stuff over the years that is beneficial for, for the casual players, right? This isn't for Osimo. This isn't for, he knows more than I do. Literally like what we're talking about is what the top, they, they know, they know this. Already, right. this is so not I, this is not so, new. So I'm 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 just like this is my passion. 
this is what I, this is my, you know, greatest hobby and my greatest, you know, side money maker, right? This is what I love to talk about. So I'm spending all my time learning from all these, these, these best players. And I enjoy talking to you and I enjoy talking to, to, to Matt and, and Peter and Squirrel and et cetera, all the shop, all the different people that I talk to every single week. Like that, that's what I like to do. And so I'm not ever like, you know, preaching like, oh, you, you have to do this. You know, I'm, I'm smarter than you. I know more than you. It's quite the opposite. I'm just like conveying through the mediums that, you know, I, I enjoy all the things that I've learned. You don't have to agree with every single thing that I say, and you shouldn't. But I think, you know, the, the thesis of this show is that we have both, you know, like spent a lot of time studying this and we're seeing things every single week. Like we just talked about today, we're seeing things every single week that, that you know, casual users can use to to become more profitable players, and we can, you and I can use to to become more profitable players. You know, you talked about some of your cash game strategy, which isn't exactly how I go about things, but it's interesting. And I think you're right. And like, there's things that we can learn from each other. There's things that I'm talking about with my swap that people, you know, maybe can consider not in the exact application of what people think of from a fantasy sports perspective, like, oh, you got to play DJ Dallas. No, I just happen to like, you know, how I was building that team for tournaments. It doesn't fucking matter what player I'm talking about, but we can all learn from each other little things, um, and I think that's kind of like the goal of everything that, that I that I do and the goal of everything we're talking about is if there's anything that I'm coming across that somebody can pick up on that helps them. That's that's the point. It's not that I, I know everything. It's quite the opposite. It's that I think it's just having these discussions is extremely beneficial for for everyone. Not that, um, you know, we have all the answers. It's not a fucking encyclopedia. Right. I mean, I've even in the last episode, in the last episode, remember, we we're talking about that running back bring back type of correlation I'm, mm-hmm. i've already done some research i mean like i'm i'm trying to get to the bottom of like okay why do why did why do top players don't do it as often as as at least i do some do <laughs> some don't so like i've been working with uh with stewart with asa and we're just theorizing and going like can let's take a look at some data and not either see are we wrong with the correlation is it stronger is it weaker is it negative is it positive are other people doing a different methodology that makes it seem negative to them when it really isn't like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't know the answer intuitively. I think that it's not great, nice, strong, positive correlation, but I think still think it's a positive correlation, but I could be wrong. I could go through the research and go, Oh, the top people don't do it because, uh, because it's negatively correlated. Maybe I've been wrong and just gotten lucky. I don't know that. But that's why I like asking questions. And I, that's why if you have any questions for us, questions at theoryofdfs.com. Uh, we, we'll always backload questions. So you can feel free to send them. If we don't get them, we'll eventually get to them. So uh, you can find Eric, e buy him four, right? Eric buy him four, right? I never, I, I ever still literally every week. I never, I, I don't know if it's Eric or E. We'll get there maybe, you know, in 10, 12 15 weeks. We'll yeah, get there. Well, sometime at some point I should just bring it up before, before, before the show, but you can find me at blender ed blender HD on Twitter and uh, the 15 hour audio DFS masterclass theory of DFS.com. And then this, this episode, we, we kind of mostly went to, uh, we went to late swap city. So I, so I hope everyone enjoyed the, enjoyed the trip and have a safe ride back home.